don't want to scare anyone. But I'm going to give it to you straight about Jason. His body was never recovered from the lake after he drowned. And if you listen to the old timers in town, they'll tell you he's still out there. Some sort of demented creature. You got to do something. Jason's alive. He killed my friend, now he's coming for me. Welcome to Bede and Steve vs. Cab Crystal Lake the official spin-off podcast of Bede vs. the Living Dead that's hosted by Bede the Terrible Aussie Jemine and Stephen T. Bolts. Good in camp blood, ain't ya? Never come back again. It's got a death curse. This is the podcast where your hosts examine the entire Friday the 13th franchise along with its fan films, rip-offs, comic books, unproduced screenplays, and so much more. Kill her, Mommy. The following podcast contains coarse language, mature discussions, and plot spoilers. Listener discretion is advised. Jason's out there. Watching. G'day everyone, this is Bede Jemine, aka The Terrible Aussie, and welcome to this bonus episode of Bede and Steve vs. Camp Crystal Lake, the podcast where we dissect the entire Friday the 13th franchise, along with its fan films, rip-offs, comics, unproduced screenplays, and so much more. And with me, as always, is my very awesome co-host, the one, the only, Stephen T. Boltz. Hello, Steve, how are you? Hello, Bede. I am I am well. I am excited and confused by what we're looking at today. <laughs> indeed 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 well so this is our first bonus episode we'll be releasing in between some of the main episodes ever it sort of depends though like sometimes we might release a bonus episode after every couple of main episodes or sometimes even in between two main episodes but this is kind of where (laughs) we uh (laughs) kind of dissect uh the different areas of Friday the 13th outside of the main series. I'm loving that we had a plan for bonus episodes and then almost immediately it went out the window. I just, <laughs> I, I think that that actually follows the the uh, story of the main movies pretty well too. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, so for this first bonus episode, we're going to be talking about two foreign rip-offs of Friday the 13th the 1981 film Shrigala, as well as the 1987 film uh, Seven Sal Bard. One from Indonesia, one from India. And I got to say, I'm very excited to talk about these two films because I'm very curious to see what other countries have done <laughs> with the with the least the plot of the first Friday the 13th film. You've been talking about Shrigala before we started this, before we came up with the idea for this podcast, you were telling me about Shrigala. So that Indeed. was very exciting to get to, yeah. I was like, is this really Friday the 13th? Like, I could see elements, which was interesting. But as you say, you know, different countries and how they work this uh, story into their own cultures, it was really interesting to see. Oh, definitely, definitely. I'm very excited to talk about these two films, so we might as well get straight to it. So we'll talk about the very first film, which of course is the 1981 Indonesian horror film Shrigala.
which was directed by Cesaro Guatama Putra. And if I butchered your name, please forgive me. And this film stars Lydia Kandor, Rudy Salam, and Barry Prima. And the plot summary for this film is three treasure hunters and three campers are being hunted by an unseen killer at an abandoned lake house. Now, like you stated before, Steve, I have heard about Shrigala for a little while now, mainly because there have been like two separate articles written about this film over at bloodydisgusting.com, which I will put in the show notes for this show. And plus it's kind of on everyone's minds at the moment because it in the US it was just recently released for the first time ever in a remastered Blu-ray courtesy of TerraVision. So this film has been one of those ones that not that many people have seen. And if there have been copies out there, there have been like pretty much very badly made VHS copies that have no subtitles whatsoever. So luckily the good folks over at TerraVision managed to restore this film and also give it subtitles so we can enjoy it for our viewing pleasure. But one of the things I do know about this film is that it takes a lot of clear inspiration from Friday the 13th as it does its own kind of spin on certain elements from the story, the kills, and also the killer's motivation. So now having watched this film uh, for the first time, I'm very curious, Steve, what are your thoughts on Shrigala? <laughs> it was Friday the 13th meets Cabo Blanco, two remakes that nobody really asked for. Uh, uh, Cabo Blanco, uh, by the way, Cabo Blanco itself being two remakes nobody asked for. It was Casablanca and Treasure of the Sierra Madre. I didn't know what was going on at first. The, the first scene, you've got a dude, he's diving, he finds a little gold idol, and he's killed immediately. And it set the tone for me because he was sort of like, it's a POV shot. Right. Mm -hmm. And he's being, you know, he's being stabbed and whatnot, but he's waving his arms in the air like a dad in home movies. You know, like it didn't, it wasn't <laughs> like he was seriously, strenuously being attacked. So I was like, okay, I know what I'm in for here. It followed these three guys looking for the treasure who were interrupted by three young people who just wanted to, to be camping. And the, the killer sort of knocking them off eventually, mm -hmm. like it really took quite a while. I guess the, the fella in the beginning might have been the equivalent of the Annie death. So there's that going on. It threw me a little bit because by the time we actually got to the Friday the 13th remake part, I was invested in the Cabo Blanco part. And it, it really <laughs> shifted gears for me. It reminded me a little bit of From Dust Till Dawn in that oh, yeah. regard, right? Where you're following the brothers and you're following the, you know, 
the crime story and then boom, suddenly we're at the bar and now it's a vampire story. This one actually blended better than, than From Dust Till Dawn in that regard. But it was it was a bit of a strange bump. Yeah, it's, um, when I sat down to watch it, I, I'm not going to lie, Steve, I actually quite enjoyed this film. And it was interesting kind of seeing how it took the structure and plot elements of the original Friday the 13th. And we've got to remember, this film came out in 1981. So this is one of, one of the earliest Friday the 13th yeah. ripoffs. And a direct Friday the 13th ripoff as well. But I do like the fact that this film kind of, again, does its own spin on a few things and adds some interesting new elements to it. But applying kind of the aspects that we know of the original film and putting it in a different setting and also a different story. And the fact that it's kind of changing it from a group of camp counselors getting a camp organized for the summer season to having three guys who are treasure hunters looking for a treasure at the bottom of a lake. And then, of course, the three campers who kind of stumble upon them and what happens when these two groups uh, mesh with each other is actually pretty interesting. And also it even adds other phrases easy elements to it. We have bizarre dream sequences. We also have a bit of a giallo influence in certain yes. aspects. We also have even action set pieces because there's a scene where uh, the killer like stalks one of the main characters in a speedboat and there's a speedboat chase <laughs> in there as well. And there's also like in one of the dream sequences, there's zombies. Zombies. Oh. Yes. <laughs> and great. also... And also, the thing I never thought I would want in a Friday the 13th ripoff, <laughs> but this film delivered, was having even scenes of martial arts. So many martial arts scenes. I love this. <laughs> I love this. No, I did honestly had a great time with this. And yeah, you mentioned the, the Giallo influence. When the treasure hunters, they're in the cabin, you know, and they're discussing their plan and what they're going to do. You know, we've got the creepy POV shot from outside looking in. And the killer, I mean, black gloves, it's Giallo mm. hands. And the killer was wearing a fancy uh, pinstripe suit, which I thought was classy. Oh, definitely. And one of the things I was most surprised about with this film was it when it actually gets to the Friday the 13th remake portion of the film, which is kind of yeah. the last 30 minutes of the film, it does actually a good job with creating great atmosphere and a creepy vibe throughout, especially because most of the film is set during, well, in that last half, it's set during a storm. So that kind of added so much atmosphere to the film. And the fact that a lot of scenes are really dark, like in terms of when it takes place at night, actually really added to the film. It was around the third act where things just became completely Friday the 13th, like almost shot for shot, oh, including mm. Brenda getting hooked through the window and it's it's literally the same framing and everything so i thought that was that was great but then um you've got the little things like there's no strip monopoly in this one there's no strip mm. monopoly but there is a chess game so you see the beats it's almost like it's filtering in slowly a character named miss hilda shows up in a jeep very important but then when she's explaining what she's doing that she says um I'm the former tenant of this yeah. cabin you're staying in. Her backstory, completely different to that of Mrs. Voorhees. Oh yeah, definitely. Because that was another thing I was very curious about. Because I knew this version of the film does have its own Pamela Voorhees-esque character. But what I really liked about how they approach this version of the character is changing the backstory and giving her a completely different motivation. Yeah, she felt she was an object. Her husband had all these priceless objects around the house and she was just another one. She was literally a trophy wife. And mm. she hired someone 
someone to kill him. And it turns out it's one of our intrepid treasure hunters. So this guy kills him and she goes, well, we'll sink his body into the lake uh, with mm -hmm. all the treasure because she didn't care. She didn't want the treasure. So this is the body that they found earlier. The treasure hunters pulled up this crate. They open it up and there's a, there's a guy in there all like rotted and mossy and everything. And then this guy turns out to be her husband. The zombie that we saw earlier. There's no no Jason per se in this mm. one. Yeah, definitely. And I think the actress who plays Miss Hilda, who is played by, uh, and I'm probably going to butcher her name, so please forgive me if I do, uh, Mike Wijawa. She does a really good job playing that character and kind of tapping into the madness of what Betsy Palmer did with Mrs. Voorhees as well. She was good. She was good. She was cold. You know? Oh, yeah. You got no sense from her of the loving, protecting mother who's just snapped. This woman was just like, yeah, no, stay away. You, know, you don't belong here. And just killing everybody off just because they were trespassers for the most yeah. part. Yeah. And also like making sure that nobody comes and claims that treasure as well. So, yeah. and also like the characters, even like the treasure hunters are actually pretty likable. And the campers as well were, I thought, quite likable as characters. Yeah. Yeah. No, true. Well, because this is a remake of the first one, everybody was pretty likable in the first one. You know, we didn't have any characters like Shelly. The three kids who came up actually befriended our treasure hunters, mm. which I thought was cool. I thought that was going to be like the main sort of antagonism here. And it wasn't like they just started sort of, I guess the treasure hunters were romancing the young girls. And that's where, mm. that's where that was. That's where that led. But yeah, it was an interesting, interesting dynamic, I thought. Oh yeah. But it's really kind of the character of Jonah played by Rudy Salam, who is kind of the only one who's very standoffish towards the campers. So it's mm -hmm. his other two cohorts, Tommy played by Barry Prima and um, I believe Kuroko played by Espaya. They're the ones who kind of like, you know, let's get to know these campers and they kind of form a really interesting relationship. And even the two guys actually kind of form a romance with the other yeah. two girls, uh, Nina and Hesty. And also Pono, who's kind of like the comic relief character and he was kind of the one who <laughs> is feels left out <laughs> of yeah. the romance because he's interested in both women. And I also like the fact that like at a certain point, Nina and uh, Hesty. They just have a fight and uh, Nina accuses Hesty of being a quote-unquote slut. And then all of a sudden they have a fight and it's literally a martial arts sequence. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, that, that, that threw me. That threw me. I wasn't expecting this. That was good. And that's the thing. I love it when a random martial arts sequence just turns up in a movie when you least expect it. So <laughs> I, as soon as that happened, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm all in on this movie. <laughs> Yeah, that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. And then, of course, like it comes back to it at the end. So when we have uh, uh, Nina on the run and being chased by Hilda, like she finally makes her final stand. And of course, it goes into a martial arts sequence as well. Oh, this is what I was, I'm watching her, you know, Hesse gets chucked through the window like Brenda and then Miss Hilda shows up. She gives her backstory, but then she just runs away. She mm. runs away and there's nothing. And there's fight scenes that sort of copy choreography from the first one mm -hmm. a little bit. But I'm wondering, where's all your martial arts training? Like, where did this go? And then there's the payoff. You really could have broken out this martial arts training a lot early on, on Miss Hilda. But I guess you don't use the hero move until the, the, the big battle scene at the end. But that's where it became beat for beat, the first Friday the 13th movie. 
Oh, yeah. definitely. And it was interesting kind of seeing how it does its own take on some of the death scenes. Like the character of Tommy played by Barry Prima, he kind of has a very similar death to Bill, but of course it's done in its own way where instead of like him being propped up on a door with a lot of arrows in him, he's just kind of propped up in a tent with uh, with a rake just shoved into his neck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there's, of course, the... Uh... The guy hanging upside down from the tree who just sort mm. of drops as she's running through, you know, like Steve in the first yeah. one. So yeah, there were these little beats, these little callbacks. Mm. So I understand now. I was thinking why, I was wondering why you'd been calling it a ripoff and not a remake. And I totally get it now. But I did get shades of Hell of the Living Dead in the oh, beginning yeah. when, our, <laughs> when our, our treasure hunters are, you know, going through the jungle in a Jeep. And I almost tapped out because Hell of the Living Dead almost broke me. <laughs> that, one almost, that one almost broke me but uh no i persevered and uh this was a lot of fun oh yeah definitely definitely and i guess one of the last things we could talk about before we wrap our thoughts on the film is of course on how it does the very end of the original film it does do the thing where the character of nita after when she is slain hilda she goes into a boat goes out into yep. the middle of the lake and then of course uh, the police come and I like the fact that you we do have a shot of the police calling out to her, but we don't hear their voices, which actually adds to the dreamlike quality yeah. of this scene. And then, of course, like the dead body of uh, Hilda's husband comes out of the water, grabs <laughs> her and drags her under. And then, of course, she wakes up in the hospital. Did it not look like the police were really invested in getting her? Like they were jumping up and down and shouting at her as mm. though they knew something. I felt like there was some imminent danger there that they knew about, which again, adds to the weirdness of it because she's just sort of floating along. We know what's going to happen because we've, you know, we've seen everything that these guys might have some inkling I thought was, was interesting, but then completely gaslighting her, telling her, no, that never happened. That was just a, just a dream. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. But um, yeah, I guess that could be a wrap on our conversation of Shrigala. And if anyone's wondering, Shrigala means wolf in English. So that's why I was at first I was like, why is it called wolf? But then during the course of the film, during the last half, at certain points, you actually hear the sounds of wolves howling, which actually added to the atmosphere of the film. But yeah, Steve, uh, your final thoughts on uh, Shrigala. Should people check out this movie if they're interested? Absolutely, absolutely. This It's well worth watching as a Friday the 13th clone, but also kind of just worth watching on its own. Because like I said, I got invested in the treasure hunt storyline. So I was mm. I was there for that. And then Friday the 13th comes along. And I'm like, leave, leave me alone. I'm, I want to you know, follow this guy. I want to follow what's going on here. But yeah, I definitely, definitely check it out if you get a chance. Yeah, I have to agree as well. I think this one is definitely worth checking out if you're interested in seeing an Indonesian version of Friday the 13th. And I like the fact that, yeah, some of the beats of the original film are definitely there, particularly in the last half. But it manages to fit quite well with the original story that it has before with the treasure hunt and as well as the new backstory they created for the Hilda character who is our uh, Mrs. Voorhees in this film. And I think it does a really good job at sort of combining all these elements together to, yeah, it is without a doubt a ripoff for sure, but it actually does work on its own as a standalone film. So without a doubt, I'd say it's worth checking out. I had a lot of fun with it. And if you're interested, definitely pick up the Terravision Blu-ray, which is the one I watched in prep for this mm. film. So yeah, it's definitely worth uh, picking up. It's a lot of fun. If you're a Friday the 13th fan, it's definitely a must.
Now we'll move right along to our next Friday the 13th ripoff, which of course is the 1987 Indian horror film Seven Sal Bard. <sighs> Which was directed by S.U. Saeed, written by Suror and Savash. And again, if I butchered anyone's names, please forgive me. And this film stars Shamila Tagore, Shuresh Oboro, Naveen Nishar, and Prima Darayan. And the plot summary for this film is married couple Nisha and Dilip Martha purchase a hotel at a scenic locale. The hotel soon attracts several young couples, an ex-convict Deepak Prana, who possesses dark secrets about Nisha's past, a police investigator who warns people against staying in this hotel, and a journalist, Lisa. One by one, people start turning up dead, brutally killed by person or persons unknown. What is this hotel's horrible secret? Now, before we go into our discussion on Seven Salvage, <laughs> I need to clarify something to our audience. Like, this movie is out there. It is all over YouTube, so it's pretty easy to find if you're interested to watch it. However, every single copy of this film has no English subtitles. <laughs> whatsoever <laughs> and there's actually two different versions of the film there's the two-hour version then there's the 90-minute version <laughs> so so i watched the two-hour version in prep for this episode i'll tell you this steve watching this film without any english subtitles was a massive trip for me as a viewer yeah but the question is though what do we think of it so uh steve your thoughts on a uh, seven sal bard uh, this was, even with subtitles, I don't know that it would have felt like any less of a fever dream. Mm. Honest to God, uh, the way it's the way it's put together, the way it's shot. Whenever whenever there's a POV shot, there's always a, a cut to a still of eyes watching, 
Mm. But they're they're done like sometimes there's sparks in the eyes and flames and and it's all uh, orange. It's all like chroma key sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So that that's bizarre. The fact that they burst into song and dance every once in a while, you know, almost I'm not not a fan of musicals. Okay, Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll say that right out. I do like, you know, musicals, but the songs are motivated in musicals, okay? Mm. And I couldn't tell here if they were motivated or not because of the lack of subs. So every time they burst into song, I'm like, wait a minute, what's going on? What's happening? What's happening? So that was really surreal for me. This was, yes, a surreal experience at best. Oh, definitely, definitely. I have to agree with that. It, it was interesting watching this film. There are definitely scenes that directly rip off Friday the 13th, and we'll get to those in a second. But then it has this complete other story around it, which kind of feels more like a soap opera more than anything else. And I I will admit that I've only seen a few Bollywood films. Like, I mean, I've seen enough, like, like the big ones and all that. So I know what to expect when I sit down to watch a Bollywood film especially with its um, tonal whiplash that they always do, going from one genre (laughs) or tone to another and then being very long and also just having random musical numbers just popping up out of nowhere, whether they do serve the story or not. (laughs) So you're right, though, in the sense that this film is a complete fever dream. Although, even though, yes, there was no subtitles and and all the characters spoke in Hindi, there was occasions where I did hear English being spoken certain mm-hmm. parts. So at least that kind of helped me clue into what was possibly going on in certain scenes. And now having read the synopsis, I'm like, oh, okay, I at least know what <laughs> the other half of this movie was. Like the big main plot between the married couple and also the uh, the convict, that subplot I picked up pretty quickly because there is an amazing scene where we have uh, the convict, uh, Deepak and uh, Nisha. They're kind of a couple in the past and then of course she gets attacked and also this movie has a martial arts sequence (laughs) then he kills someone and is sent to jail and then of course it's like their relationship throughout this entire film because of course he has the secrets and obviously based on the visual storytelling of this movie she hasn't told her husband about this so it's basically like is the truth going to come out at least I hope it does, again, because there's no subtitles in this movie. <laughs> but it's interesting kind of having this very heightened, very bizarre fever dream of a film where there are a lot of shots and sequences in this film that felt very Dario Argento to me, mm-hmm. especially like especially in the first half, because there's a lot of bright colors. I was like, felt like, oh, I'm watching Suspiria again. <laughs> and then when the actual Friday the Phone Ape stuff actually pops in it's actually interesting to see because it does have a sequence where we have this film's version of Addie going to a bar and then somebody of course offers her to take her a lift to the motel and unlike say the truck driver Enos in that film the person who is driving her definitely is much more skeevier than yeah. <laughs> and also I love the fact that this movie has its own crazy Ralph character I'm so glad you brought that up I was waiting to bring that up when they go out to um, this is one of the English lines uh, uh, he's yep. got an SUV out there he's like climb into my baby she opens the door and this, <laughs> this dude jumps out I swear to god he's dressed like Emmett Kelly the clown he's dressed like <laughs> Emmett Kelly and he's absolutely the crazy Ralph of the piece I absolutely loved it and you know if there was any doubt that this was crazy Ralph like you might be watching this going 
you know, I don't know. That that could have been just that could have been some other guy, but he shows up later in the pantry. Yep, that's exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> Total crazy Ralph move. I loved it. Who I made... there. You were you were synopsizing it. I got too excited about crazy Ralph. But... Oh, that's all right. Well, I was gonna <laughs> say, like, I have a feeling, Steve, and I want to hear your thoughts on this. Do you think this version of Crazy Ralph is actually crazier than Crazy Ralph? I honestly think he might be. Actually, you know what? I'm thinking this guy wants you to know he's crazy. Mm. It's like Catch-22. You know, if you if you think you're crazy, you're not. This guy actually, he's so dialed it up to 11. I think he has the reputation as Crazy Ralph. So he's like, I'm going to lean into it. He definitely acts a lot crazier than Crazy Ralph. We can give you that. If you look at it, Crazy Ralph was the same character of the piece. The mm. doomsayer saying, look, you're doomed. Don't go there. It's got a death curse. Stay away. And then what happens? Everybody's dead. I don't think he's crazy at all. Right? <laughs> this, this guy, this guy, Emmett Kelly, the Emmett Kelly version of Crazy Ralph was definitely crazy. Yeah, he, he's more crazy, crazy Ralph. Let's yeah, just say that. Yeah. <laughs> but um, of course, we get a lot of random like musical sequences throughout the film. And I love the fact that, and I had a good laugh about this, is that, you know, in the original film, the character of Addie gets killed off within the first 10 to 15 minutes of the film. Right. The Addie in this one doesn't get killed off until an hour into the movie. <laughs> the dude that gives her a ride apparently makes an indecent proposal of some kind. She gets out and he drives on. And I thought, okay, this is it. This is where she's going to, yeah, you know, no, uh-uh. <laughs> Not at all. And also, she gets picked up by another couple. <laughs> and also, I'm thinking to myself, how long has she been walking on that road? Because it seems like when we go back to the motel... It's been like two, three days and it's like she's still walking along that very long road until another car comes by. And it's not a case where another car picks her up like in the original film. Then she starts to get a little creeped out and then makes a run for it. The car just comes speeding towards her and then stops and then she just goes running off into the woods. And then that's, of course, where the character finally dies. And they extend her death scene for quite a while because she's running for quite a while. It's insane. This was insane. And I, like I said, I don't know if subtitles would have helped, but mm. there was one point where the lack of subtitles actually did help. Uh, mm. We're at the hotel and there's a, there's a young boy and a cook. And apparently yep. there are some comic relief moments between the, the young boy and the cook. And when we meet the cook, he's carrying, he's carrying a chicken under one arm and a puppy under the other arm. And the little boy stops and has a chat with him. And I don't know what they were saying, but the subtext of the same, like just the chicken and the puppy. I'm like, oh God, no, what? No, no, <laughs> no, you know? But then the little boy leaves and he continues on with the chicken and the puppy. So I don't know, I don't know what the fate of either of those animals was, but I know that there was a lot of humor in there that I would have understood had, yep. uh, had we had subs. It's interesting though, because basically you got the first 15 minutes feels very Friday the 30th, but we even have a setup where basically kind of similar to the two campers who get killed in the past. is kind of a similar scene to that, but played even more surreal. Then, of course, the Addie scene. And then we go off into a completely different direction for a while. Then Addie gets killed. But the Friday the 13th stuff, like in Shrigala, kind of really happens in the last 30-odd minutes of the film, mm -hmm. where all the characters start being killed off one by one. And what's interesting, though, is even though Shrigala definitely copies a lot of beats 
reshoots from the original film, they kind of do their own kind of spin on certain scenes or deaths. Some of the deaths in this film are very direct from... <laughs> the original film even to the point where there's one character who literally is like up against the wall with like knives and everything holding mm -hmm. him up there yeah yeah and i noticed again the um the killer leaving the bodies laying around mm -hmm. you know as, as killers do in these and again you had somebody falling from a tree upside down you know another steve christie reveal so yeah, very much, uh, very much into the third act, they leaned heavily on it. Whereas the first act was, as you said, like a soap opera with all these different relationships. I want to take a moment and talk about the music. There was a bit over the opening credits, I was really getting into it. And then at a certain point, it starts to sound like if you watch Friends, Ross's sound from the one where Chandler crosses the line, season four, episode seven, it's revealed that Ross wrote some music when he was in college. And and it's just, it's explosions and clock sounds and things like yeah. that. Like it's not, this music goes from one end of the spectrum to another, like being really sort of fantastic and captivating. And then it's like TikToks and explosions and nothing really could encapsulate this movie better than that opening score. I thought that's a nice little thumbnail for what I should expect with this movie, because it was very much like that. There's a point, I marked it, I think it's one hour, 18 minutes and 15 seconds into the movie. You can jump there, <laughs> jump ahead for yourself. I swear to God, they used some Pink Floyd. <laughs> it, it's, and then I did, I pulled out Dark Side of the Moon and I went, it's about eight to nine minutes into time. It absolutely is, absolutely is from Pink Floyd. I will go to my grave. So the score itself is, a lot of it feels like they just used archival music, you yep. know, that they had, like they were just laying around. But then some of it fits so well within the scenes. I wonder if it was just coincidental. Mm. <laughs> you know? It uh, could be. But, you know, sometimes you get that again with Pink Floyd and The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> well, before we get to our final thoughts on the film, we got to talk about the ending. This film's version of Pamela Voorhees does turn up, but she literally turns up in the last 10 minutes of the film. She's not a character who's introduced at all in this film. And mind you, this movie is a lot longer than the original Friday the 13th. So I was thought, okay, maybe they might introduce her a little bit early, but nope, she just rocks up at the last 10 minutes. I'm not sure what her character's motivation for killing everyone is, but we do get like a little flashback of, I'm assuming it's probably similar to Friday the 13th because we do get a flashback of someone in the Someone's water. drowning. Drowning. And I love the fact that the performance of the actor or the voiceover, which is in English, by the way, is pretty hilarious because it's like, help me, help, I'm drowning, oh. <laughs> and then of course, once she goes into... She also does a pretty good job, the actress, going full batshit insane with her performance. She was amazing. She was incredible. Yeah. And they go even more insane with this ending because, again, there's like, there's, I think there was lasers at a certain point. And also, like, the main character of Nisha pulls out a, a crucifix at one point to kind of stop her as well. And it kind of goes back and forth between night scenes and <laughs> day for night oh. scenes. And there's a fight between the two of them that doesn't look choreographed at all in the mud. And... <laughs> Like, there's so much batshit insanity happening in this last 10 minutes of the film. And then, of course, it does the thing where Nisha gets into the boat, goes out into the water. And then, of course, the body of whoever drowned in that lake jumps out, grabs her, pulls her under. And, of course, she wakes up in the hospital with the police surrounding her. 
And I love the fact that the film kind of ends with kind of similar to the original film, which I'm assuming she probably says something along the lines of, oh, he's still there. And then, of course, yeah. we get a shot of bubbling water to kind of <laughs> insinuate that. I think we should watch more movies without subtitles and call it No Context, <laughs> no context Theater and just go from there. Like, we'll have to make up. We don't even read the synopsis and just go into it. It should also be noted that uh, the killer uh, was wearing a Dracula cape. She was. <laughs> <laughs> Which is amazing. So, and I wish I wish I knew why, but at the same time, I'm glad I don't. Exactly, and also her eyes, kind of like, yeah, like they got they all go shimmery and sparkly. <laughs> was she was she a demon? I don't know. <laughs> It'd be amazing if she is. Oh God, fantastic! It should only be watched like at parties. Make a drinking game out of it. It was fun, but it was taxing. Yeah, it was. Yeah. But um, we'll get to our final thoughts on the film. So, Steve, your final thoughts on Seven Salbard. This was really an interesting experiment. I don't know if I could recommend this mm. one, at least until we get a version with subs. It might have been more fun with the subs, but then in a way, possibly not. Indeed. I wonder what I would have felt watching it before Shrigala as well yeah. like how reversing the order would have worked but this was mm. interesting but i i can't say i recommend viewing i can agree with that i think it between these two films i think shragala definitely wins out for sure because i think this film is overall a bit of a mixed bag there are a lot of things i quite enjoyed about it but there are some things like you say are a bit taxing about it like i think being i know all bollywood films are very long but i felt like a lot of the time the length kind of was very sluggish and it could easily have been trimmed by a few minutes but the fact that there is also a couple of 90 minute versions out there as well i'm very curious to watch to see what they cut out but that being said though even though i would love to have seen a subtitle version that at least gives me a bit more context with some of the scenes but the fact that it didn't have subtitles it actually made this film like you say more of a fever dream and such a weird surreal experience like when it actually does the full soap opera plot it's like okay it's kind of typical and, and blah 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 but when it actually does go into friday the 13th territory it goes literally insane with it. <laughs> what is this hotel's horrible secret? We still don't know. Exactly. And I love the fact that every time we have shots at the motel, it's literally a model. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I love that. I love that. The use of models and even still photos sometimes. It reminded me of watching um, the original Dark Shadows, mm. where for the establishing shots, they just use like a postcard or something. Yes. You know? So that was that was a lot of fun. I had uh, I had flashbacks to Collinwood. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I would say this film probably will work better if you watch it with a group of friends for a, a bad movie night or a Bollywood movie night, depending on which you prefer. So I guess in that way, it's definitely best to watch it that way. But on its own, yeah, it can be a bit sluggish in terms of uh, as a watch alone viewing. But yeah, I guess that could be a wrap on this bonus episode of Bean and Steve versus Camp Crystal Lake. And thank you, Steve, once again, for being a awesome co-host as per usual and thank you Bede. <laughs> and steve where can people find you on the internet this week oh all the usual haunts i'm on insta stephen t bolts uh and over at uh letterboxd to see what i've been watching i am fulci rama nice and if uh people want to find me personally they can find me on my twitter page at twitter.com slash you can also find me on blue sky under bead jermaine 
You can also find me on Letterboxd under BJ Vine, and you can find all my work and all the other podcasts I co-host with Super Marcy over at the Super Network. And in terms of Bean and Steve versus the Living Dead out there on social media, you can find everything of the show on the social feeds for Bean versus the Living Dead via twitter.com slash BeadVSTLD, on Blue Sky under BeadVSTLD, or on Facebook when you type in Bean versus the Living Dead. And of course, you can listen to this show on all podcast streamers everywhere via the Bean versus the Living Dead podcast feed. So, yep, that is a wrap for this bonus episode of Bead and Steve versus Camp Crystal Lake. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. And we'll be back very soon for another bonus episode, which will be looking at part one of our domestic ripoff versions of Friday the 13th, which I look forward to that. But stay tuned for when that episode will drop. But in terms of what the next episode of this show will be, keep a look out on January 13th for our main episode on Friday the 13th, the final chapter. So stay tuned for that one, everyone, and we'll see you all next time. See you, everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Feed and Steve vs. Camp Crystal Lake. Be sure to subscribe to this show via the official Feed vs. The Living Dead podcast feed on your podcast player of choice. Keep up to all updates of the show via the official Bead vs. The Living Dead Twitter and Blue Sky accounts at Bead vs. TLD and on Facebook under Bead vs. The Living Dead. The artwork was brought to you by Super Marcy and the music was brought to you by Deno. See you later, everyone.